Iced tea. Go a cappella. Now I'm on the West Coast, relaxing and chill, living on the mead streets of Beverly Hill. I have I love I, it. You way better than a lot of rappers that are making yes. records right now. She is Olivia Munn. Drop my name as much as you can. By the way, I am a first-class name dropper. The great, legendary John Madden. And then on the phone, Steve Marriott. She's- <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. You watch a guy. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who is that? Mooch, how did you sniff that out so quickly? I sniffed that out. I sniffed that out. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, fresh back from uh, a two-week respite. Actually, it was exactly two weeks ago today that we put out a fresh podcast with uh, um, with uh, Ian Rappaport giving us the idea of what free agency would look like, and then we hit free agency, and then the owners' meeting happened, and the tuck rule went out, and the truck rule came in, and uh, there's lots to talk about in the last two weeks, and I am pleased that uh, you have all stuck with us while we took a little bit of a break that was not only necessary because of the grind of the season, but also because uh, news was breaking left, right, up, and down. Didn't want to put out a podcast that would be almost immediately dated with all the major signings that took place in free agency and all the rule changes and news that came out of last week's owners' meeting. So uh, we figured uh, we'd just take a break, gather, um, gather ourselves, put our ducks in a row, and come out with a new show right now in time for the weekend uh, while you all soak in uh, March Madness. Uh, where I believe Chris Brockman is. Chris Law, you are at your post. Good to see you, sir. Rich, always a pleasure. Good to see you. But our friend Chris Brockman is up in San Jose, California. Impromptu road trip for uh, the Brockster. Yeah. And uh, and and clearly, clearly, um, when Brockman's in the house for his Syracuse Orange, uh, anyone from Montana best not get in the way. <laughs> they uh, They throttled him. Wow. Wow. That was an absolute tail kicking. And uh, Brockman was there, so he's still up in the uh in the Bay Area because Syracuse uh didn't just survive in advance. They 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 punked in advance. Yes. And uh so he will be uh, he's sticking around for the uh for the other game this weekend. So We'll chat with him later on. Yeah, he's wandering around the Bay Area now, and uh, he's going to be in a special location for our phone call. So, oh, is it, uh, is it an undisclosed an location? An undisclosed location. Uh, he, okay. he knows we're about an hour, hour and 20 minutes from getting to him whenever we wrap this thing up. And, okay. And you enjoyed uh, your, your week away on the job. You were in New York. I did getting yeah. ready for the for our draft coverage. Yeah, we're doing. Uh, yeah, we did a site survey, and uh, we're doing a big uh, mock draft show this year that you'll be a part of. That Mike Mayock hosts every year. Um, that 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 we usually don't know that we're doing until about ten days before. Yeah, you usually get an email from me. It goes out to you and Mooch and Irvin and Mike and uh, all the guys. And they're all like, like and, the, and and we all get it. We're like, really? They all groan. Really. You all groan, and then you get in the room, and then it's, you know... It's well, our the, competitive juices flow. Exactly. And uh, so this year, it's a little different. It's going to be um, it's going to be live and turned around for television, and it's going to be a 90-minute show on network and on NFL.com. So we're stepping it up this year, the game. Our mock draft. Yes, your mock draft. Okay. And right. I, I could tell you the teams you're picking for if you want to know. Oh, really? I know so already? Can start, so you can start practicing. Unless, yeah, that'd be good. Unless some trades happen, you know. Well, but, we never... Yeah, that, yeah, right. Okay, between now and then, but yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. As of now, I have you slated in the three hole so you're oh, going so uh, Oakland. I've, got, I've got the oakland pick you got 11 you're you will back at 11 for the chargers 
Bears. Okay. 18 for the Giants. You're going to represent New York. Okay. And then 27 for our, our homeboy Ed Reed's new team, uh, the, the Houston, Houston Texans. Texans. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? So, so you know, it's funny. Uh, I think you pointed this out on Twitter, as did other observant uh, regulars of our uh, podcast nation, that if you work the Oscars red carpet for our show, it winds up being the last thing you do as a member of your longstanding team. Yes. Heinz Ward worked the red carpet. He was released the next day by the Steelers. His final his final, his final, time in, in the black and gold. Waving in, the... in 2012. Yes. Seriously, on Oscar Sunday, he was a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers as he had been his entire career. Next day released. Ed Reed works the red carpet for us. He wore his Ravens purple tux, right? Yes, purple cufflinks. Purple cufflinks. He had it all. He had it all about the Ravens. Seller basically taking a victory lap for, for, for all there on the Oscar red carpet from his Super Bowl victory with the Ravens. That was his last public act as a member of a Baltimore Raven, as yes. he is now a Houston Texan. But at least his career's not over. No. You know what I mean? Like, if, his career, if that was it for his career, then I think we'd have a main, major big-time issue getting someone to work <laughs> the red carpet for us in 2014. Yeah, the podcast bump uh, would, would not be so much of a bump at that point. Well, I'll tell you what the podcast bump did. The podcast bumped the tuck rule out. That it did. I'm telling you, man, we have used this platform for two-plus years. And Jeff Fisher came on on our, on our, on our, our podcast uh, special from the Combine. And I, you know, I, I went at him on this thing. And I'm not. I'm not saying it was put it over the edge, but I, the, uh, that was a podcast bump off. You got the coach to stand up during the interview and, and mock the motion of yes. why when the tuck yes. rule happened. Yeah. I mean, he was into it. That was well. I mean, and now nobody's into it. Over. Dead. Dead. Uh, tuck rule dead. At the same day, uh, what's being called the truck rule is in effect, where uh, a running back outside of the tackle box cannot lower his head and hit with a forcible blow the crown of the helmet into the defender, which a lot of running backs like our, our guy Marshall Falk, Eric Dickerson, Matt Forte, and the current uh, active membership of the uh, NFL running back uh, uh, society, they're all being very critical of it, and, and rightfully so, because I think this is going to end up getting improperly called at the worst possible time. And we're going to talk about this new rule change specifically with the new vice president of officiating the National Football League, Dean Blandino. Yes. Who is an integral part of the Pereira administration for years. He was essentially the, uh, the guy who ran and perfected and honed um, instant replay. And now Dean runs the whole shooting match. Yeah, at the officiating command center in New York, which is where we'll be doing the mock draft from. There His office, essentially. Very much so. So he'll be coming on. Uh, free agency, uh, as expected, started with a bang. I don't think anybody expected that the Dolphins would go and get Danelle Ellerby, but everyone expected Mike Wallace would be a Miami Dolphin. It was the first order of business. Uh, he was essentially signed, sealed, and delivered within the first hour of free agency. And uh, no one expected, though, the Dolphins went ahead and get Ellerby yeah. uh, for $7 million a year, essentially. Five years that th- there was no way the Ravens were going to match that. And the Ravens, who maybe to make room for Ellerby and whatever they were going to have to pay him, sent Anquan Bolden to San Francisco on the Monday before the league year opened. 
And on that very same day, Percy Harvin was acquired by Seattle in what I think is the best move of, of so far of uh, the new league year. I, I was, probably was agree with you on that. that. He's such a versatile player. Now, he's got to play, though. You know, he, he no, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to play, yes. Um, I, I just think him and that read option, holy smokes, with Russell Wilson and Beast Mode and Sidney Rice. Stretching the field, Sidney Rice. Yeah, gosh. And now San Francisco, moving on from the Randy Moss era, going ahead and just taking one of their gajillion draft picks, a sixth rounder, and getting Anquan Bolden. It's an, it's a, Why not? It's an AFC or NFC West arms race, pretty much. Love it. And, and, that, and that's what was a, a major topic of discussion the day before the league year opened. And those moves became official once the league year started, including Alex Smith going from San Francisco to Kansas City, which re-signed Dwayne Bowe, which franchise-tagged Brandon Albert, which then went out and got maybe in many people's minds the top cornerback available in Sean Smith. Uh, they made some really good moves, Kansas City, for what we talked about uh, in our previous podcast with Ian Rappaport. You take a look at the landscape. You want a new, got to get a new coach, got to get a new quarterback. Andy Reid and Alex Smith were potentially the best available options and safest bets, and they went ahead and did that. And they've got the first overall pick in the draft. Who that's going to be, who knows? We'll have Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, I guess he's our chief scout. Yes, an NFL media, correct? Him and, him and Bucky Brooks yep. uh, they're our, our, our scouts. They're our scouts. scouts. Correct. So Daniel's going to come on. Uh, we'll get him before he uh, hits the path to the draft set. And in terms of all of this free agency and the rules changes, uh, we'll chat about all of it with Mike Silver of Yahoo Sports. Yes. I mean, the Wes Welker move is right up there in my mind with the Percy Harvin acquisition. Because, Wes, I mean, if you got a closing window of opportunity with Peyton Manning, providing him with Wes Welker is remarkable and a game-changer, too. How are you going to stop them? Yeah, the, that trio is is sick. Well, don't forget the tight ends, too, that Manning is constantly throwing to. Yeah. And then the running game, which uh, no Sean Marino returned to the four last year. Willis McGahey, him. Um, Ronnie Hillman. Uh, Ronnie Hillman. Think about that. Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker. Manning stays upright. It's going to be tough to beat those guys. But who's going to rush the passer for them with the Elvis Doomerville situation? What a, I, I was at NFL Films. After I went to New York, I went down to NFL Films. Facts. And that all that news was coming out while I was there. And I, I, it was, we were all just like, is this really? Well, I mean, the news broke that he was staying that he was going to take the pay cut from $12 million down to eight after all. And then it was like, yeah, he accepted the pay cut, but he did it too late, and the paperwork wasn't done in time, and the facts came through six minutes too late. Can't you, like, and take a the photo free. with your iPhone and then email a JPEG and dude, just have it be signed? I don't dude, know. Dude, it's just like in this day and age, everyone with Manti Teo is like, where's the FaceTime yeah. and the Skype? Yep. How can you not just take – I mean, it, there has to be an app. Right, where you, using the tip of your finger, can sign something. Yeah. But apparently, Doomerville was at a Kinko's in South Florida. A FedEx Kinko's, yeah. Yes, with the paperwork. Frantically trying to send it. 
Jeez. And that and that was you know I, I had fun with that one on Twitter. Yeah, and I saw some of your tweets. I had, I had a lot of fun ones. with that one on Twitter. My <laughs> Jets fans are now lamenting that the facts worked perfectly for the Tebow transaction. <laughs> oh yeah, that that thing was humming like a kitten, right on time when Tebow was up for grabs with the Jets in Denver. But Doomerville and it, you know that whole thing too is is notable for many reasons because here's a kid in his late twenties who has produced. And they wanted him to take a pay cut. Yeah. Because Elway said it was out of whack. And sure enough, you take a look at what the market bears, what Cliff Averill, another signee uh, in Seattle, by the way. Jeez. We just, I, I mean, I, we just sort of glossed over that because, I mean, the bright, shiny object is Percy Harvin. Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett are now rushing the passer in Seattle, which is great. I mean, if you got to go chase down Colin Kaepernick, or pen him in, you need those guys. Can't have enough pass rushers, obviously. And um, you, you, you take a look at the market, and yes, what he was making was out of whack, but what's happening in this day and age that guys in their late 20s are getting cut? Elvis Dumerville has 63 and a half sacks in six seasons. He's averaged over 10 a year. And now he's in, the, he's in this glut, this morass, in which Dwight Freeney is sitting out there, OCU Manura is sitting out there, John Abraham is sitting out there. You take a look two weeks in, cornerback market, who's still sitting out there? Namdi's sitting out there. Charles Woodson is sitting out there. I mean, Ed Reed just signed uh, on this day that we're taping. It is the yeah. the second Friday of the league year. Antoine Winfield, Quentin Jammer, there's Marcus Trafant. There's a ton of guys. Terrence Newman. There's, the street is filled right now. And so it's just interesting to me that, that Doomerville would get I uh, have to get a haircut, and now he got cut because of the whole facts disaster. Incredible. Things that you never know that you're going to talk about in the NFL. Who in the world thought that we'd be all talking about fax machines and free agency? And in the same way that who thought we'd be talking about deer antler spray the week <laughs> of the Super Bowl? You can't predict this stuff ever in the NFL. And... Um, and free agency, you know, was I think we've hit on the most notable yeah, signings I think. and moves, but um, you know, it, it, it will be it needs to be seen what the Dolphins' moves might will mean for them, short or long term. And that's the deal with free agency is you just you know you never know. The one guy we left out was our uh, friend of the podcast, Matt Hasselbeck, going yes. to Indianapolis. Oh, good for him! Yeah, great, great five, five million. Yeah. He's making next year, too. That's not too bad. No. But, yeah, I mean, Indianapolis made a lot of moves, too. They made a lot of moves, too. Um, Plexico back in Pittsburgh. Indeed, yeah. And, and you know, the Ravens, obviously. Everybody's talking about that. Well, I want to talk to Dan, to uh, Daniel Jeremiah about that. He was a, a scout for the Ravens and what what philosophy that, uh, obviously, that they're, they're hewing to. They're staying true to whatever they're doing. Um, and so there's lots to talk about. Rich, you buried the lead for 15 minutes, though. And what is that? You are nominated for your third Emmy. Congratulations, uh, Sports Emmy. Well, is, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 my third nomination. Your third yeah. nomination, Thanks. yes, for Outstanding Studio Host. So congratulations. That was good news that came down uh, yesterday morning, Thank you. correct? Thank you. Yeah, so, I appreciate that. Well done. Well, listen, it's a group effort, as you know. Total Access got nominated Total for Access. First, first time. Yeah. First time. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm off that show, <laughs> and it gets nominated for the first time. You know, two years after I leave it. And then um, 
Kurt Warner got nominated and, uh, and Mike Mayock and did Mike too. Mayock, yeah. And then our, our friends at NFL Films crushed it as always. Yeah, NFL.com got two as well for the uh, Everything to Prove Gatorade series and um, the season as well. Well, I hope to uh, bring home some hardware, but I'm going up against Bob Costas in an Olympic year. That's which true. Which is very, very, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's that's like the Washington Generals going against the Harlem Globetrotters there. That's a tough. That's a <laughs> well, tough, you got you got DP, your guy DP also. Dan Patrick. But maybe they split the vote. They, they split the NBC. Split, yeah, I was on Dan's show on Friday. So he said that they split the Olympic vote. Maybe you I sneak sli- in. It's your year, Rich. But Ernie Johnson is there too. Uh, EJ is great too. And James Brown, JB, EJ, Bob, and DP, and uh, and then there's me. I'm the only one of that group that's never won before. So maybe I can get on the board here. There we go. And if not, it truly is an honor. Just to be nominated. There you go. <laughs> it's true. No, it's that, did, not, did that not sound sincere that, to you? That sounded somewhat. I'd give that about a, a well, six the and truth. a half. I'll take it. Listen, uh, it's better to be than not. That's the truth. But um, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Very, very nice of you. All right, let's get this show on the road. Let's get this show on the road. Let's talk tuck rule and truck rule right now. He is the new VP of officiating of the National Football League and um, had uh, quite a. Uh, a press conference at the owners' meeting. He was part of um, the introduction of some of the new rule changes uh, uh, for the 2013 season. He is Dean Blandino. How are you, Dean? Good. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing just fine. So right right away, you're you're thrown into, I guess, the uh, the snake pit that is uh, outraged fandom uh, in regards to this new rule. Um, and I just want you to, I guess, why don't you have the floor here and explain what was done uh, in regards to this crown of the helmet rule change sure. outside of the tackle box with, with running backs. Sure. So, so the rule will apply, like you said, outside, clearly outside the tackle box. So outside the tackles and three yards beyond three yards downfield. And, and this rule will prohibit a runner or a tackler from lowering his head and delivering a blow with the crown, the very top of the very top of the helmet, um, to uh, to his opponent, and so we're looking, we're looking to to try to eliminate the technique of lowering the head and delivering a blow with with the crown of the helmet. Right, and so it's three yards down the field from Correct. the line three of scrimmage. Correct, three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. That's where. So either outside the tackles. Or if they were within the tackles, you'd have to be beyond three yards from the line of scrimmage. Interesting. And then uh, if it is an infraction, it's 15 yards uh, from the spot of the foul? On the offense, it would be 15 yards from the spot of the foul. If it's on the defense, they tack it on to the end of the play. So if it is somebody, like say Adrian Peterson's coming around the end and lowers his head, hits, bashes somebody, um, 15 yards down the field, 20 yards down the field. Sure. Picks up the first down on this run. How does that get marked off? So wherever, wherever, the, wherever the foul occurred, we'd go back 15 yards. And then wherever that new spot is in mm-hmm. relation to the line to gain, that would depend on whether it was a first down or not. So let's say, let's say it was first and 10, and Peterson goes for 30 yards, and he, and he delivers the blow with the crown of the helmet at 30-yard mark. Mm-hmm. Then it it will go back 15, but since minus the 15, you're still beyond the line of game. It'll right. be first and 10. So it, it wouldn't be like a, a it wouldn't wipe out the first down. It no, would. it would not. It would not wipe out the first down. Okay. No. Um, so here's my question that I think a lot of people are wondering: Is that how can this? My concern 
is that this is going to be difficult to officiate because your guys are 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 going to be on the field seeing this stuff happen so fast and how will they determine whether it was the complete crown of the helmet and how will they determine it has been 3 yards down the field can sure. that to me is is the is the issue that maybe it's a shoulder that's really creating this contact not the crown of the helmet your guy thinks it was something because it looked similar to what a crown of the helmet blow might look like and then suddenly this is being called uh, improperly and and not through fault sure. of anyone else this is a human error dean you know what i mean sure no it's it's a it's a great point rich and that and that's the that's the issue that the coaches brought up is that this will be difficult to officiate we don't feel it's any more difficult than pass interference, and, and that's certainly that could be more than 15 yards downfield. What the way the way we're going to teach it, and there, there's an education process with any new rule, and it, and it starts with putting the language out there, explaining the spirit of the rule, and then looking at a lot of tape and identifying what what plays are are legal and then what plays are not legal, and and we're we're going to teach our officials to look for the obvious act, the player clearly lowering his head delivering the blow, and we're going to use a lot of video to show legal acts where the player, especially the running back, is lowering his head or ducking his shoulder to protect himself, protect the football, or brace for the hit. So certainly a concern. We don't want to over-officiate this. We're going to, we're going to teach our officials that if we do have – most of the time downfield you're going to have three officials looking at this. And if someone, if someone throws – then we want the other two officials to come in and discuss it and make sure that they're all on the same page, that, that what, what they've seen is, is exactly that, that the lowering of the head, delivering the blow. We don't want to see fouls with, uh, for guys lowering their shoulder, and, and we certainly don't want to have incorrect calls in any area of the game. Um, so we're going we're gonna to work hard to make sure that the, the guys understand uh, and the players and coaches understand what we're going to call and what we're going to what we're we're not going to call. Well, with these rules, these particular fouls and the penalties that are uh, that come from them, Dean, the issue many fans have uh, is a couple of fold. One is that you want to talk about the spirit that this is somewhat not in the spirit of the game, where you are uh, physically trying to overpower somebody else in the game, and this might. Uh, lessen the the power and the hitting aspect of the game. That's one. But that's something that obviously is out of your bailiwick. You've been charged with officiating this thing. So this is the other part that I think upsets fans that definitely is in your wheelhouse here, is that for a defender, a defender that hits somebody and a helmet-to-helmet contact is made from a defender on an offensive player, that when the defender was sizing his opponent up, he was not going to hit him in the head. Mm-hmm. But when the opponent ducks, because that is what we do as human beings when contact is imminent, is we sure. duck, we assume a crash position, that is when the helmet was lowered by the offensive player, and it's on the defender. Too bad, you hit it, doesn't matter, there is no gray area, we don't officiate intent. Now, my question is, is if a running back in the similar situation, Mark's what Marshall Falk is saying, they lower their heads to protect themselves and get in a crash position, will it be the same thing where you will just officiate, sorry, that's a penalty because we saw the helmet-to-helmet contact? Is that going to happen? No, you know, it's, it's a great point, Rich, and, and we understand on the defenseless player that the defender, he may be doing everything right, and he may have his target low, 
and then just based on the receiver changing levels, he ends up right at the head or neck area. And and but the rule is unforgiving. That 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 is the rule is the rule. And if it's helmet to helmet or head head and neck contact, it's a foul. Here you're really looking at a player delivering a blow. So we have other we have other situations like on roughing the passer, where the where the defensive player goes up to block the pass and he may graze the helmet of the quarterback. And we say that's not what we want for roughing the passer. It has to be a forcible blow. So we're officiating that that play similar to this new rule where we're looking for the player to initiate contact with the crown of the helmet and actually deliver that blow. We're not officiating intent, but when you think of it in terms of the, the, the play I described on the quarterback, you're really looking for someone delivering a blow, and we're going to do our best. And I understand Marshall and, and some of the, the former running backs, their concern. Um, we're going to do our best to differentiate between a player who has options and who's delivering a blow with the crown, using it as a weapon, and a player who's just trying to protect himself and brace for the head. But what, can that be done in real time, though, Dean? Because you know, this stuff happens so fast. It, it does, and but we, our guys officiate. Like I said, pass interference to me, pass interference is more difficult than 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 this call because it pass interference, it happens so quickly. Guys are running at full speed. There might be just a slight tug that takes the receiver um, away from being able to catch the pass. Uh, we officiate we officiate more difficult plays, I think, than this. And and not to say it's going to be easy, but but I think with with the proper teaching and and the proper video. I think we can. Uh, I think we'll be okay on this one. What about reviewing this stuff, making this stuff reviewable? Because it happens again so fast, and your guys are charged with a little bit of, quite a bit. You're one of the first lines of defense for player safety here. Sure, your guys out on the field there, and maybe they are going to err on the side of. Well, that sure looked to me like helmet to helmet, crown of helmet. That looked to me in the split second like that. I'm throwing the flag 15 yards, and yet we now sitting at home with the benefit of replay, see that it really was a shoulder pad, a top of the shoulder, part, sure. of, the, part, of, the, part of the chest hit somebody, and it looked like helmet to helmet in some way or fashion. Why is this not reviewable, Dean? We, you know, we discussed it, Rich. We discussed whether we should make that reviewable because, like you said, it does happen very quickly. Uh, the competition committee, and, and since replay was instituted, We've always, they've always tried to stay away from the judgment call. And I understand that, that other calls, catch, no catch, there's judgment involved. But, but the subjectivity of, of, of pass interference are holding, and, and the committee puts this in the same category, that it is strictly a judgment call um, that the official is making, and they don't want to open that, that door up. Uh, because then if we say that it's reviewable, then are we going to have the, the coaches be able to challenge and create a foul, and so it's kind of a slippery slope. But it was discussed, and I'm sure it will it will continue to be discussed. Yeah, yeah, you know, when you talk about creating a foul, though, I've had this discussion with Jeff Fisher actually at the combine. Dean, is that is that this there is already precedence for a challenge flag to be thrown to create a foul, and that's for too many men on the field. Correct. Where it wasn't Correct. called, you throw a challenge flag to specifically send a zebra under the hood to take a look and whether or not to throw a flag. So if that's already there, why not? And that for a five-yard penalty, this stuff changes momentum. You know, these 15-yard penalties change momentum. So that's, that's my question. I'm like, it just, and I understand mm-hmm. you, don't want, you don't want Mike Tomlin saying, well, you didn't call helmet to helmet. 
So I'm going to throw this challenge flag, go underneath, and you, you show me helmet to helmet, and that's 15 yards. What's the difference between that and throwing the flag for, for too many men on the field? I, I think with, with, with too many men, it's, it's really it shouldn't be a judgment call. He's either on the field or, or he's off the field. Right. And in the, in the hit on the receiver, you know, there's so many variables. We look at so many different plays and, and for supplemental discipline, discipline for player fines. And it's they, even in slow motion, you, you say, well, was that, the, was that the neck area? Was that clearly in the chest? There's a lot of room for interpretation, whereas the, the too many men on the field, it's either he is or he isn't on the field. And, and, and so in that instance, um, creating the foul, we, we look at it a little bit differently. Mm. Um, you and your previous incarnations with the uh, National Football League, you were Dean. You were essentially the replay guru, correct? From correct, o- yeah. from o three to o nine, you you instituted. Um, I guess not the system. The system was already in place, but you you I guess um, you ran it right. You yeah. you 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 made everything. You routinized it. Let's put it that way. Sure. Uh, um, so I got a couple questions for you on this. Why must the official physically on the field have to see it. Why do you involve the head ref? The referee. Yes. Why? Why? Why can't it be like college? Like college? Yeah. It's um, again something we discuss every year that the the NFL and the, the committee and and I feel strongly that the officials on the field are charged with officiating the game, and we want to keep all of the decisions in their hands. And so that's why we, we feel that the referee having the ability to review the play, keeping the decision on the field, is the best system for us. The college system, it works for the colleges. Um, it's, it's quicker because you don't have the referee coming over, uh, but they review everything. Every play, the replay official could stop, whereas our system, there are limits to it in terms of uh, the coaches having to challenge certain situations, and there's a limited number of challenges. But that, that's discussed every year. We, we feel that having the referee as part of that decision um, is important. It's important to our replay system. Well, then how about instead of, of having a replay official be up in the booth at the stadium, why not have the Mike Carries of the world and the other head refs, when they go into the hood, speak to you and your guys sure. from your lair in uh, in Midtown Manhattan, in that that state of the art, it is a lair facility. Is, you have I like it, that. it is a lair. It's a it lair. Is, yeah. It is a referee lair. And why not have you guys part of this as opposed to having having everybody at the scene handle it? And then if it does get somehow uh, messed up, you then come in days later and say, "Well, it should have been done this way or not," as opposed to just cutting out that process. Mm-hmm. And you having your fingerprints on it right from the get-go in real time. Yeah, and that, that, that's you know what the NHL does. Yep. Um, I've, Baseball I've does that to too, Toronto. right? Yeah, I've gone up to Toronto and, and seen their operation. Uh, again, something we've discussed, it, it certainly would give us more control over the decision-making and, and potentially uh, make it more consistent. Again, the original system that was put in in 86 to 91, one of the things that came up, and, and this was from, from clubs and players and, and fans, was that they had kind of the eye in the sky. Nobody knew who this person was, uh, and they were making decisions that were affecting the outcome of the game. And, and I think there's a little bit of, of just trepidation of, of 
having everything go back to New York and, again, keeping the decision on the field with the referee. Uh, it, is, it is an interesting um, discussion, and it's something that we'll probably continue to look at as, the, as technology gets better and it gets easier and easier uh, to do those things uh, remotely. Uh, right now, we just, we just feel that having the decision made at, at each stadium with the referee is the best system for us right now. And lastly, I've, I think I've mentioned this to you off air. I might as well hit you on this now. What about an, a tablet? Why, why have these guys run off the field yeah. and go underneath a hood in this monstrosity like this, uh, this old election booth-looking yeah. thing that you got? Then you just have some run, run out with a tablet, and it makes it quicker. What do yeah, you think well, about the, that? The, the, tablet, the tablet idea is great in, in perfect conditions. I think the issue with the tablet is if it's a sunny day, you have glare issues. If, there's, if it's inclement weather, you're going to have issues with rain or snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why the, 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 the booth that we have set up, it's protected. You can go in, you're away, there's soundproofing, um, that type of thing. So I think... The tablet, in certain situations, an indoor game where you can control the, 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 the elements, uh, would work. I just don't think it would work for 256 games with, with all the elements that we play in. Well, um, Dean, I really appreciate you taking the time here. I know you've been really busy with the, with the uh, competition committee in Naples and then the, uh, the owners' meeting in Arizona, and I'm sure you've got your hands full left and right. Uh, I'm in the years that I, I chatted with uh, Pereira uh, on a weekly basis, I understand the crucible that you're in. So I, I appreciate that. And by the way, I don't think I'm not going to give Pereira grief that in one of your first I was weeks waiting for on it. the I was job, waiting for it. in one of the first weeks on the job, you got rid of the He's tuck something rule, Something he Dean. could never get done. You got rid of the tuck rule. Way to go, Dean. He two couldn't months. do it. He couldn't do it. It took you two he, months, right? How, how many years? And, and it took me two months. So you just let him, let him know that. <laughs> oh, don't, don't think I'm not going to. There's no question about that. And, and before I let you go, who is, the, who is the young tot in the background? Yeah, there? you know, I'm trying to keep him. That's my That's son okay. who's following me around. He's actually <laughs> upset because he was, he was in favor of the tuck rule. He was? Yeah, so he, he, he's a little upset. He's a so. patriot? He's a, he's a patriot? He, I didn't know that. A, he's a patriot guy. So, you know, how old is he? How old is he? He's only two, so. So he's just he follows me around right I now. I think he wants up right now, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Dean, go back to it. You're the father of the year, you're the zebra of the year too for getting the tuck rule out. Thanks for taking the time. No problem, Rich. Appreciate it. You got it. That is Dean Blandino, the VP of officiating the NFL and his two year old son in tow on this podcast. Well, we're on the subject of children. Here is a man who uh, is my favorite uh, wild child of the National <laughs> Football League. <laughs> media uh he is none other than mike silver of yahoo sports welcome back to the podcast sir how are you there mike i'm wild i don't know you are you are a wild child you're you're a child too come on we've we've hung out together i've seen it i've seen the child in you we're we're, we're all children we're all children and congrats on your your cal bears my michigan wolverines your cal bears advance yeah it was really nice that we got in the tournament and got to go to the game with one of my actual children (laughs) and had a good old time uh, Cal's not really a fan of prosperity, so we had to make it a nail-biter uh, at the end by missing a lot of free throws, but we did prevail, and I'm really, really excited about our women's team, coached by uh, one of the great young coaches in the sport, Lindsey Gottlieb, Final Four potential. In fact, pit to go to the Final Four by one President Obama. Yes. No, no pressure there. Yes, but I believe he's in the last four the four years that he's done this, he's gotten of the sixteen 
uh, Final Four teams. Uh, he's gotten three on the men's side. On the men's, but yes, in the women's, he's gotten three of the sixteen correct. The women's, I bet he's pretty hot. So, uh, well, I mean, it's easier, isn't it? You could, yeah, you could pretty you know, much figure out a lot of ones uh, in the women's. Uh, Cal's a two, same region as Stanford, which is the one they've split their two games this year, yes. shared the conference title, so could be a really, really exciting uh, battle for the Final oh, Four. For the good for you. How was the owners' meeting? How was that? I had a really good time. I uh, missed you. Yeah, I know. I didn't. They had, the network hasn't sent me since uh, since the last Arizona one, where Al yeah, Davis I, Al Davis was there giving everybody a piece of his mind that <laughs> that uh, at back at that 07 owners' meeting. Rich, be yeah, honest, I, are you, are you I, raising I your hand to be there? Staying away for, from the meetings for years, but you know the lure of Arizona got me back and uh yeah, it's funny i remember georgia frontier uh coming out it must have been 19 years ago at the biltmore and taking the nfl's quote old boys club to task because they were blocking her desired move from anaheim to st louis right the raiders were also getting ready to go back to oakland and i remember thinking well this is crazy, but obviously there'll be a, another team or two in L.A. very, very soon. And uh, it's been a long, long road, and uh, I still don't see an ending. They're uh, still not, still not. What about the uh, – let's talk about the rule changes that I just spoke to, uh, <laughs> Dean, about this crown of the helmet rule. So many fans are outraged by this because it seems in the safety aspect of, of the NFL – in this new world in which we live, that one rule after another makes the fans fearful that the game is no longer the same game that they fell in love with, that their parents fell in love with, it's been handed down from generation to generation, that it's just another layer of political correctness that is being injected into America's game. And it gets people outraged. And my question to you is, Mike, is do you feel that that is a fair criticism well before we get all negative i'm going to dodge that question and i want you and i to first applaud the death of a rule that we both detested yes for different reasons but basically uh we were in lockstep ultimately and that's the tuck rule because we had an epic dinner in indianapolis uh, which we each uh, told Jeff Fisher, of course, a, an esteemed member of the competition committee, committee, why we hated the tuck rule. And uh, I was just so excited that it actually did yes. go away. Because as I told him at that dinner, that there is no clearer indication that a quarterback has no intention of throwing the football more than the tucking of the football. That is the clearest indication by another human being I have no intention of throwing. So why make that part of the process an incomplete pass? It was one of the most cockamamie, cockeyed rules of any sport. I kind of like the the part where I got up and tried to dememonstrate that yes. you know I would immediately uh do a pump fake every time I went back there at which point I could then wind my watch uh, you know, try to solve a Rubik's Cube and perform about eight other tasks. And then if I fumbled, according to my interpretation of the rule, it would still not be a fumble. But uh, you you guys actually enlightened me a lot. I was more of a visceral, I hate this rule, it sucks, it's not football. You actually had it broken down, but the end result is all good. So let's go back now to the crowd of the helmet rule. And I really, really struggle with this just as when they 
started the new rules emphases or interpretations uh, in the wake of uh, you know those incidents a couple of years ago uh, in terms of uh, defenders uh, hitting a, you know aiming for a guy's chest he lowers his chin uh, Dante Robinson Deshaun Jackson boom we're not even gonna uh, put intent in the equation anymore that is now you're you're liable not only to a hefty fine but suspension so I struggled with that I struggled with this and by the way it's not just fans who are concerned a lot of players and former players are, are the ones weighing in most strongly and Especially with running backs, I feel their pain because uh, they are the most vulnerable people in the sport for much of the time, and they're, it's reflected in their career longevity. But you know, they're the only guy who has eleven people trying to harm him uh, every time he gets the ball or is about to get the ball. So um, I get it. I really struggle in general. I, for years, I've been all over the head trauma issue. I'm super, super concerned. I want to find ways to mitigate those risks. And obviously with Junior Seau's suicide last May, uh, you know, it's, it's another haunting indication that we have to put all of our heads together and try to figure out how to do this. You know, at the same time, I do want it to be football. And so if you create rules, for example, the, the ones we were talking about earlier where – a little, you know, a, a little slot receiver who's quick can get the ball over the middle with no fear of being blown up by a defender because they're too scared that even though they are about to deliver a legal blow, they're going to get fined and suspended. Well, then that's not football. So I don't know how to straddle that line, and I don't know the answers. What I do know is that a lot of people who are really smart and care a lot probably can help solve this so if you get former players and then of course you know coaches like jeff fisher who really really know the game and by the way delivered a few blows in his time as a safety at usc and with the bears uh if you get enough of those people together i think we can go about trying to solve it so i guess rich this is my answer i'm open to anything that smart people think might be able to help. I'm open to trying it and then possibly rescinding it. The real question with this particular rule is how will it be enforced? If it becomes a uh, very frequent penalty that really keeps running backs from doing the natural thing and lowering their shoulders before impact, then I think a lot of us are going to have a problem with it. If it's just the egregious case where a guy seems to be using his helmet as a battering ram uh, and you know, it really does seem unsafe when you think about it. Right. Then I think it'll be a good thing. Well, the issue is, it's, you're not going to see too many of those sort of Brandon Merriweather top rope jumping moments where that's so obviously a foul. Right. That's not going to be it. That was my concern, as I mentioned to Dean just moments ago. He thinks it's going to be easier to officiate than pass interference. He said that this is going to that this is going to be an adjustment that players will adjust, and it'll be just like everything else where strike zones are lowered in the NFL with these players. It's just, as I mentioned it to him, it's just another situation where the fault lies uh, on uh, the, 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 you know, I guess the no-fault law, right, 
yeah. doesn't apply here. The fault is all on the guy who's delivering the blow, right. whether he intended to do it or not. Right. Whether the, whether whether the right. blow as it was being delivered in the process was going to go right in the sweet spot, but because the other guy dips his head and creates the helmet to helmet situation, right. that's on the hitter. Right. That's that, another yeah, situation thing, like that. With, with Dante Robinson, who's probably aiming in the right spot, and Deshaun Jackson instinctively sure. earns his chin. And the issue here is, Mike, is that is that. You know the the we and we speak to league people all the time, and they truly do wring their hands over somebody um, getting seriously injured, paralyzed. Yeah. Heaven forbid, dies on the field. They really are concerned about that. Sure. There's no hey, no yeah, and, two and ways and about it. People who you know, it's very easy to be cynical about all this and say, well, they're getting sued. And I know you and I are in the camp of people who know Roger Goodell and others, but in Roger's case, believe very much that he really sincerely does want to make this game safer no question about it and i you know i've talked to him enough that i really know that so you know i i i think this is what is problematic and maybe there's a way to you know get past this but you're watching a game it's happening at very high speeds and something happens and the ref has to make a call. And now here's another instance where, well, did he lower the, the helmet? Did he, you know, does it rise to that standard? Was it incidental? Um, did it really touch the helmet? Did it touch the shoulder? Now the ref's got to make yet another decision like that. And I think, you know, if you slow these plays down sometimes and you really take a look, many of us would agree, okay, that's probably not a penalty, or, yeah, that guy should probably get fined. And, and in essence, this is what the league does when it comes to fines anyway. But it's really easy for a ref in real time to not know conclusively and or to get it wrong innocently because it is, it's just another really tough play to officiate. And I think, you know, just as it can, these rules can create tentative defenders uh now you can create tentative open field runners and that's not visually appealing either but i guess bottom line the fans need to get over it and give it a try because they're not the ones who are you know dealing with cte and and the really really brutal side effects and i believe that players to some degree have to be safe from themselves that's what the powers that be are going to try to do or at least try to make some tweaks uh the fans are going to just have to trust them i think and and obviously they can speak with their eyeballs and and checkbooks if it's no fun to watch anymore then we'll all know two weeks into free agency mike silver what what lesson have we learned about the business side of the nfl in the uh now that we're a couple of years into this new cba what what have we learned from the first two weeks of free agency in your estimation? Well, I think this year is different in that that you know three day plus quote legal tampering period seemed to give a real advantage to the teams and and stop that early wave of uh, free agent signings that maybe wouldn't reflect the market, but teams just have to get a guy. Uh, in the past, you know, you saw guys signing five minutes, an hour, two hours after uh, the floodgates opened, and I think, you know, maybe teams just said, we have to get this guy, we got to take him off the market. I think the combination of the legal tampering period and then the very stern memo issued by the league scared teams away from 
making commitments during that time and sort of allowed them to to harden and uh you know be a little more disciplined in terms of the market and i think that hurt some early wave free agents uh, in general because the cap is has been relatively flat um you've got less of a market than there has been so uh you know with all of that said i think uh it's less of a thrilling time to be a free agent than say when Reggie White first got to be or even when Mario Williams did last year. Yeah, it seems to be there's a lot of one, two, three year deals. Two years for Wes Welker, one for Aqib yeah. Tlaib, three for Ed Reed, which was a, a major a late uh, in, in the game, I guess, two weeks into free agency signings with him going to the Texans. It just seems that there there are, I mean, the Mike Wallace contract and the Ellerby, I mean, the Dolphins were 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 operating in sort of an old school manner, and in the in the, in the that you lock somebody up for multiple years. But it just seems that there were all of these smaller deals, and I'm wondering why that why that was. Why, why would that be, Mike? Well, so, you know, less of a cap, uh, less of a percentage of the cap, because in a lot of cases, quarterback deals are taking up big chunks because the quarterback money has continued to rise as if the cap was continuing to rise and i think there's gonna you know you saw with the brady contract maybe maybe some people will try to correct that but it's hard joe flacco obviously who took all you know took a risk and didn't sign a long-term deal and then you know parlayed that into everything he could have wanted uh did cash in and the ravens had a tougher time another thing that happened is that two of the traditionally aggressive teams are dealing with the aftermath of being docked, uh, you know, a bunch of money in the, uh, you know, the, the crushed the Cowboys and Redskins, crushed r- them, right? Really, really crushed the Redskins, and it made the Cowboys less aggressive. And and I think also history has shown us that when you win free agency, it does not often correlate to uh, you know winning the Super Bowl or coming close. And and the Eagles of Put the post lockout Eagles being the most egregious example lately. Now that doesn't mean it can't. It just means that you don't you don't necessarily get anything for doing that, and the chemistry really needs to be studied. But I also don't think, well, you got to do it the way the Patriots do, or oh, you got to do it the way. I mean, I, I admire teams that stick to their systems and have a philosophy and won't change their valuation of a player. You know, to to uh, react to the market and all that, but I also like teams like the Broncos and Seahawks right now, Bad. who are just going out and aggressively trying to maximize their potential at a time when they already know they're good. And it's more obvious with the Broncos because they've got Peyton Manning for X amount of years, and obviously that's a unique opportunity. In the Seahawks' case. It, it's How good are they, man? How good are they? Yeah, it's interesting to watch the 49ers and the Seahawks because the philosophies are, are very different to to a large degree in that the 49ers seem much more red, you know, willing to try to just make every year uh, good but load up for a long, sustained run. And they're getting great value. They're getting maybe two twos for Alex Smith, and they got Anquan Bolden for a six. I mean, what a wonderful offseason. But the Seahawks are more, and, you know, with a, with a quarterback going into his second year, the Seahawks are more, you know what? We're really, really good, and 
we're going to get obscenely good right now. And yes, we'll we'll give up some stuff for Percy Harvin and take that risk. And oh, pass rushers are a little cheaper than we thought they'd be. Well, we're not just going to get one; we're going to get two uh, in April and Bennett. And uh, yeah, I really admire John Schneider and Pete Carroll for for being so aggressive. And they they know how to draft for their system too. They oh, well, last year's draft was obviously they, wonderful. First of all, you get Russell Wilson in the third. Uh, you can pretty Lord. much stand on that. But, you know, Bobby Wagner in the second. I still think Turbin in, in the fourth is a really good pick and that he'll be a very good player for them. Bruce Irvin could still be, uh, you know, a real contributor. So, uh, yeah, I, and I think they got a starting offensive lineman, a converted defensive lineman who's starting an offensive line. So right, I've got my fingers crossed that, uh, that a, a Seahawk-Niner game shows up on the Thursday night schedule. Oh, I think we're going to get some great ones. And then, uh, you know, the Rams, I, I, if they were in a different division, they would absolutely be a very, very trendy but Mike, Mike, they had the best record in that division. I know, and they and the C, they played the Seahawks tough at the end of the year. They they tied the Niners in a game they very you know they, they really should have won, won, and then right, they yep. won the other four. So, yeah, I mean Jeff Fisher and Les Snead are doing tremendous things. They had a great draft, and and I say that uh, with pride because I got to be in the war room last year. So, <laughs> but uh, who's gonna they, who? I know Jake Long. You're going to keep Bradford upright. That's a great move. Yeah, I love Jake Jared Long Cook. I, I really yep. think going out and getting Jared Cook is going to open up the middle of the field for Bradford. Yeah, and but who else is going to run down the field for him though? Right. Well, I think they'll they'll address that. They really like Givens. Uh, you know, quick. Their their uh, second pick last year uh, still has some potential, and I think they'll figure out a way to to get some receivers. Um, you know, I, I think the Rams will get better, and they do play those teams tough. And I don't think it's that far-fetched that we could have the rare three playoff teams from one division uh, if everything breaks right. Well, Atlanta, I've, I like the moves that uh, that our, our, our guy TD made. You know, obviously he, he struck, it, struck it rich with uh, Tony Gonzalez deciding to come back. That was a major boom. For them, yeah. that said, I, I like that they've re-signed their own guys or most of them. Yeah, I'd like and, I'd like Grimes back, but uh, we'll see if that. There's happens. still time. There's still time because that cornerback market is just yeah, it's just something else. That I, I want to get to that in a second. But Stephen Jackson, I mean, on paper, love that. Me too. The question is, is how does that will will that? I mean, you just take Turner out, put Jackson in in that spot with that offense. How do they not score thirty every game? Yeah, I think that's I, mean, the, I think that's the idea because they they got rid of John Abraham. They have not yet really addressed a lot on defense, and you know that's what they had was certainly good enough to get to the Super Bowl last year because they came so darn close. Uh, and they may just be the team that figures we're going to outscore you one way or the other. But I, you know, I would expect in the draft something on defense to try to bolster that. They obviously need someone to rush the passer. Will Osio Manura end up there? Uh, it, you know, it'll be very interesting to watch. But, yeah, it's um, I'm impressed with what they've been able to do. Uh, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, I'm not real happy with the Bears right now, not so much because they elected to part ways with Brian Urlacher, but but because I, I believe, Brian, that I think they were a little disingenuous about it and they should have 
done say what the Packers did with Charles Woodson and just said it early, hey, we're moving on. And Mm -hmm. Brian wouldn't have been happy, but I think it would have been – the the sting would have been a lot different. And uh, I'm just a little surprised. Where does he wind up, you think? Man, I don't know. I think he's – you know, I wrote about Ronnie Lott uh, coming back to burn the 49ers that first year with the Raiders. I, I think about Brett Favre wanting to, quote, stick it to Ted and ending up going into Lambeau and winning with the Vikings. Sure, in a perfect world, Brian would want one of those types of opportunities, but uh, it's a good question. Obviously, there's no great market for him financially, but I just, I'd just i be stunned if there's not somebody out there thinking right now, you know, we could get Brian Urlacher for pretty cheap. You know, why would you not want to add that? So, um, you know, whether that's, I know there's been some talk of the Vikings. I uh, I, I keep trying to uh, will Urlacher to the Ravens, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I hope he gets a chance to play, and I, I hope he uh, does the kinds of things I think he's capable of, and it is a bummer that uh, it had to end this way. Real quick, a couple quick hitters for you here, although this is not really so quick. The, the cornerback market, you take a look at what these guys are getting and how many of these guys are out there still. Like you got Namdi on the street yeah. two, two weeks in. So how in the world can Darrell Rivas, with a bum knee, say, I want to be paid like a quarterback when the cornerback market, he is clearly the best and back when he had his last contract issue, it was like, how am I not getting paid more than Namdi? Now it's just not even – no one's going to get paid more than Darrell Rivas. No one's even going to touch what Darrell Rivas currently makes. So why would, why would anybody go ahead and make him the highest paid player, period, in the NFL with the bum knee? Why would that ha- – I don't understand what's happening here. Is he really pushing for that behind the scenes? Well, it's a weird thing because – his agents seem to be out of the process in terms of, uh, yeah, I, I think Woody Johnson has decided this guy's just going to be a pain. If we keep him, there's no way we're going to end up re-signing him, especially if he comes back and, and proves that he's good. And we're rebuilding anyway, and we don't have the luxury of overpaying a great cornerback like we're just a player away. So let's just let's just move on and it's complicated of course by the injury but yeah usually when you're trying to swing a deal like that where the player is not locked up for a while or is unhappy uh with his current salary in this case both apply uh you have to involve the agents because it's buyer beware no no gm and owner is going to take that big swing uh without the security that okay well we're going to have this guy for a nice chunk of time at a dollar figure we can stomach, and uh, this is going to be really cool. So how do you swing that deal? And uh, you know, the injury just makes it really tough. It reduces his trade value. It reduces his economic value. I mean, if I'm Revis, I think I just come out and say, I don't want a new contract. I want to go out and prove myself for whoever wants me on their team. And if that's the Jets, cool. And if it's not the Jets, cool. And um, all I want to do is come back and prove that I'm a good player, and we'll evaluate it after that. And you've always got the franchise tag, which will probably come down the way corners, you know, with Namdi's money off the books and all that. Uh, you've always got the franchise tag if, at your disposal if you want to keep them. Uh, except, the the Jets, except the Jets aren't allowed to use that. 
per the contract. Right, the Jets aren't, right. But, I mean, if if I'm trading for him, then maybe I think, you know what, he's he's come out and said, or he's told me, I'm not going to be a pain in the butt. I'm going to take him at his word. I can always franchise him. And let's see if the guy can play. Uh, meanwhile, Richard Sherman is sitting there going, "How many years do I have to wait till I can get more money?" But uh, in the meantime, know, he'll just he'll just go on first take and continue to poop on uh, <laughs> on Bayless's head on his own program. Yeah, that's oh, a uh, Lord. I, I I thought I might be watching Joe Buck and Artie Lang for a second, but <laughs> you know, Richard, I, I I give lots of love to Richard. He's a Stanford guy. I'm a Cal guy. We by all rights we should not get along, and sadly we get along swimmingly and uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan. Well, you're both wild children. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I guess I, you know, he's I don't think he really is that wild, but he's got the cool look, you know, the eyes and the hair and he uses I know. He uses the big words, you know, as he as he said in the article I wrote about him. Every once in a while, I got to bust out a word you're going to have to google just to let you know I'm smart. <laughs> oh boy. Thank you for the time, Michael Silver. You're a good man. Really appreciate it, Rich. And let's uh, let's toast next time we see each other some nice red wine uh, to the death yes. of the insidious tuck rule. We will pour some out. We Before we let Mike out. go, though, we do have to ask him a critical question. And that is that what? We're going to put his feet to the fire here. Uh-oh. Who's going to win Outstanding Studio Host Emmy? Of this year's nominated, oh, is anyone even nominated besides Rich? I mean, yeah. why even, why even bother? <laughs> okay. I mean, come on. No, we all know. Constance. I don't know who I'm insulting, but I'll. You're just... not. Don't worry, dear. You're, you're... You don't have to answer. I just want. To oh, I, I don't know who's going to win, but I'm. You know, I, I'm in Team Eisen. So Thank you. That's, that's, you know. that's like the Twilight. That's that's like Twilight. Team Eisen. I, yeah, that's what that's what they tell me. I don't know. I'm an old man. I'm. You call me a wild child. I, my children think I'm hopelessly out of touch. <laughs> Maybe you're both right. <laughs> Take care of yourself, Michael Silver. All right, thanks a lot. That's Michael Silver of uh, Yahoo Sports, everybody. So that's the entirety of the free agency and the owners' meeting and the rules changes. And now that we are past that part of the NFL calendar, here deep into the non-playing season, as we call it, uh, at NFL Media, it's now time to turn our attention to, obviously, the uh, off-season or non-playing season Super Bowl. And that is the NFL draft. And in that regards, pleased to have here on the uh, Rich Eisen podcast. Uh, you uh, enjoy him uh, on Twitter at Move the Sticks, former scout for the Eagles, Browns, Ravens. And even though he was a quarterback at Appalachian State, I still will have him on my <laughs> podcast. How are you, Daniel Jeremiah? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Rich. Now, Appalachian State, I did say it. You got properly, it. Properly, correct? Not a lot of people around here say that correctly. That's kudos to you. Well, you know, when, when a team hands you the most heartbreaking, awful defeat in the quarter century of your fandom <laughs> with that team, you learn how to say their name. You know what I mean? Oh, no question. You know, the interesting thing, Rich, every uh, every radio interview that I do, I'm always introduced as, you know, NFL.com or NFL Networks, Daniel Jeremiah, except when I do Columbus Radio. I'm always Appalachian <laughs> State quarterback, <laughs> Daniel Jeremiah. Law, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? That, that makes perfect it? sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Lordy Lord. <laughs> so here we are um, a month away from the draft, essentially. And uh, I retweeted your tweet uh, sent out uh, in the middle of the week where you said you cannot remember a draft that has these many questions at the top of the first round. 
it, it's it's a unique draft. It's so weird. I mean, to be sitting here uh, where we are this late in the calendar and have the Kansas City Chiefs with the first pick, and I'm told they're inter, they're entertaining anywhere from seven to eight names with the first overall pick. I mean, this is not you know Andrew Luck or RG three. Which way are we going to go? I mean, there's any number of players that they're interested in. I mean, everything seems to point towards the tackle, especially with what we're seeing. Uh, with the news about Brandon Albert being on the trade block, it does point in the tackle direction. But even when we talk about tackle, is it Jokel? Is it Fisher? And then there's just a lot of uncertainty there. And then we look at the pass rushers that a lot of people feel good about being top ten picks. You can find holes in all of them and, and nothing, uh, no bigger hole than what we saw with Jarvis Jones in his workout the other day. Yeah, and I saw in your recent mock draft, I'm beginning to pay attention to mock drafts a little bit more um, now that, again, we're about a month out. You You have him going to the Jets at nine. Wouldn't that be a risky pick based on his medical history? I understand the sacks that he put up in his last two seasons in the SEC, but wouldn't you say that that at nine for for what the Jets need, they, they cannot miss. I mean, and no team can miss, but this team really needs to restock and in, in a hurry. Uh, would you think that still would be a good fit? So you're, you're saying that the Jets taking a risky pass rusher in the top ten might not work out. You're not using any history there or anything. Are you well, if you, you mentioned Columbus, Ohio. That one of those guys leaps to mind. <laughs> the Michigan man strikes back. Uh, no, I, I tell you what, yeah, there's some absolutely some risk. You know, I did this mock draft the day before his workout. And, you know, anytime we have some new information comes out, I always like to at least take it in. Let's let it settle for a little bit. I don't want to make a knee-jerk reaction just pull this kid right out of the top ten. He's... Obviously very productive, uh, led the SEC in sacks two years in a row, but it got me thinking, let's go back and look at the guys that have led the SEC in sacks the last seven or eight years. And I, I pulled it up, and it's not necessarily a list of all pros when you're talking about guys like Jamal Anderson who didn't work out. Marcus Howard out of Georgia, who's no longer in the league, I believe. Uh, you know, you look at Nick Fairley, who hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype of where he was picked. So, you know, he's, his calling card has been his production. But when you go back and look at that production, you know, look at the history of it, it's, it's a little scary. So who's the guy that you think this guy – because I, I, honestly, the last nine years that we've done the combine, you could always look at the field at a handful of guys and say, that guy's going to be a star at this next level. Mm-hmm. No question about it. And I had a tough time doing that at the combine this year. Who can you point to and say, that guy's going to be a star at the next level? Well, that's, that's the interesting thing. You can poke holes in all these guys. I think three of the safer picks, when you just look at it, once you've had a chance to watch everybody through the whole process, through the fall tape, through the all-star games, the combine, the pro days – get the background information. To me, these three offensive tackles might be three of the safer picks in this draft. They're going to be longtime starters, maybe low risk. Even a guy like Lane Johnson, you know, a converted quarterback, you know, defensive end, tight end, all the positions he's played. His last two years at Oklahoma played right tackle, left tackle. Played really well on tape, and you add him with Jokel and Fisher. I think those are three guys I feel the most comfortable with. The rest of these guys, I mean, you can poke holes in all of them. What about Floyd? I, I love Floyd on tape. I, I was very high on him. He had a great workout. The thing about him is he got 31-inch arms, and I know it sounds silly. We're talking about arm length, I and mean, this guy's a great player. But, you know, it does matter. There is something to be said about that. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about the Chiefs possibly at number one, but having spent a couple years in Andy Reid's organization, he puts a big emphasis on arm length for offense and defensive linemen. So that would surprise me. Hmm. So then who do you, who do you think – is it possible – I asked this of Mayock, and he said yes. So just file that one away in terms of uh, how you catch your answer. Is it possible that we will have the night of the draft a full-on suspense moment with the Chiefs pick where we have no (laughs) earthly idea who's on the card that the commissioner is carrying to the podium for the first time? 
Yeah, I think there's I think there's a chance of that. I mean, I you know I guess you know some of the stuff in terms of the contract wanting to get that worked out ahead of time. I think that's a little more set in place now with this new CBA. So I don't know that there's a huge benefit to identifying who your pick's going to be and negotiate with them ahead of time. This stuff kind of getting done pretty easily now. So uh, the advantage of telling everybody what you're going to do doesn't really exist. And I, I really do believe there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of what direction they're going to go, even this late in the process. So. Who do the Chiefs? What do they do here? I mean, <laughs> and first of all, let's look at it, the totality of it. Would would you trade Brandon Albert? Would you do that? Well, he's a really good player. I mean, I think he's a top ten left tackle. But you know, in terms of uh, of looking at the best team they can put on the field, I mean, they might say, hey, if we can get a couple picks for him, uh, you know, we'll use that pick on Joku. I think is, a, is an excellent football player. We feel like maybe that's a lateral move with Brandon Albert, but. We're turning around. And we're going to pick up some extra picks, and you know, obviously, you want the higher the better. You're talking about probably a high second round pick in uh, a future pick is what's been out there. So uh, that to me, maybe that's how they construct the team as best as possible. But yeah, it is kind of unusual when so many teams are looking for a left tackle and you have one to, to then turn around and put them on the market. Yeah, it, it makes very little sense to me because um, why not use your pick if you want? And you took take a look at what San Francisco did with their first-round picks a couple of years ago, getting two offensive linemen, and that was a major cornerstone, major cornerstone. We could sit here and talk about Kaepernick, and you know we could sit here and talk about Patrick Willis. We could sit here and talk about any of their uh, dynamic players. But that offensive line is what separates that team from most of the league. So why not go ahead and keep Albert? If you can do this under the cap, which it seems like they can, keep Albert, go ahead and draft another guy, keep Alex Smith upright, and you know what? They have got some serious weapons on offense already, the Chiefs. Yeah, this is a team, when you look at the big picture, you know, picking first overall, you're talking about teams normally, you look at their roster and it's just bare. Uh, this team's got a lot of a lot of good players. I mean, they're, you know, it's not, out of, it's not out of the possibility this team turns around and wins the division next year by any stretch. And so if you look at a situation where you have Brandon Albert, you bring him back, you've already brought back all these other players, you've made a lot of additions, now you draft Jokel, you put him on the right side, now we might be able to get Jamal Charles and this running game cranked up. You know, it's going to work. Everything's going to work off that running game. We're going to be able to get Dwayne Ball, the Dwayne Bow, the ball down the field off that running game. So yeah, there's a lot of logic there. But I mean, it's it's pretty much out there that that Brandon Albert's on the market. What about Lotolele? What about him? What about Star here? I yeah, he's mean, got him going to my Eagles at four. I'm a little concerned. There. <laughs> I'm happy, but I'm a little concerned. Well, I mean, if his if everything checks out with his heart, which it's interesting to me, you know, everybody kind of says, well, he's worked out, and the fact that he's worked out, he's medically cleared. Now, that's two totally different things. I mean, teams, yeah. doctors are going to have to individually clear him. He'll probably be busy uh, flying around to a lot of these teams so they can get another look at him to make sure that's okay. Uh, but when you watch him on tape, he's, he's an outstanding player. He can play in either front. The, the one thing about him, he's not a real dynamic pass rusher, and I think uh, Floyd gives you more upside in that regard. So it's just how high are you going to take a passer or how high are you going to take a, a player that doesn't necessarily rush the passer in a big-time way? You know, We're looking at passing league teams are throwing the ball like crazy, and you're going to draft a guy that high that doesn't help you in that area. That's the only knock. How old is Ziggy Ansah? How old is he? <laughs> Well, I guess it's 23 or 24. I mean, I know I've, I've heard teams have seen uh, the passport, I guess it is. Not a birth certificate. It's a passport yeah. that they've seen. So that's, but is, this, the, is, it, is that the football birthers? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. It, the football birthers? It's like Danny Amante from the Little League World Series. No question. What was he, like 17? Yeah. And he was throwing gas. I remember that. from my, my hometown, State College, <laughs> Little League. Yeah, he was big time. Yeah. Danny Amante, man. Yeah. Well, the goatee probably was a little bit of a giveaway. Giveaway, yeah. Right. But, but uh 
No, I mean, yeah, look, th- this has been out there for a while. I know it's just been kind of recently reported. I think Ian might have might have put it out there. Rappaport had talked about teams being interested in this information. But, yeah, this has been going on for well over a month. Uh, teams kind of doing their homework on that. I know teams have called him directly, and he's very, you know, he's very upfront about it and tells them and, and, uh, specifically when he was born, how old he is. So he's, he's sticking to that story, and it seems like he's got at least a passport to back him up. Geno Smith, where does he wind up as you currently sit here about a month from the draft? Well, Rich, you know how, like, this time of year, there's so much smokescreen, you yeah. know, thrown around. And for some reason, I'm buying this one on, on the Cardinals. Uh, waiting till the second round. I've been hearing it for a long time. And then, you know, they go get Stanton, and then it seems like he has a good relationship with Arians. He knows the offense coming over from Indianapolis. They're comfortable with him kind of being the bridge bridge quarterback, and they feel like they can get a tackle in the first round and come back and get their quarterback in the second. So maybe they're out of the Geno Smith market. To me, it points straight at Buffalo. Well, I mean, shoot. Boy, do they need a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> I mean they, they have to get a quarterback in this draft. The question is, is Geno Smith the guy? Because if he is the guy, then he's got to be the guy against Brady. Mm-hmm. He's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy who's going to try and uh, take down some of the best quarterbacks, or at least go point for point. Um, is he the guy? Yeah. That's the question. That's why this is such a weird draft. Because when you look at it. There's a couple different questions. Is is Geno Smith an upgrade over Tavares Jackson and what they have in Buffalo? Yeah, absolutely. I stand by that. There's no question. Now, is he going to be good enough to be on par with what else is in that division? That's a whole different ball of wax. So to me, it's do we try and put the best quarterback out there that we can this year, and that's Geno Smith, or do we say he's still not the championship-caliber quarterback we want, we're going to sit and wait? The problem is if you're going to sit and wait for that perfect quarterback, you're, you're going to be out of a job as a head coach <laughs> and a general manager. That's just yeah. the way it works. What a, So handicap the quarterback class for me now, because coming out of the combine, there weren't too many kind things that you heard <laughs> about them. How about now as we're deeper into pro days? I'm going to give you a little deep inside the scouting world here, Rich. Thank you. On, uh, in Baltimore, we had, you know, a lot of times you hear people say he's a first-round pick, he's a second-round pick. In our draft board in Baltimore with Ozzie Newsom, we, we, we separate it this way. Is he an immediate starter? Is he an eventual starter? Is he a potential starter? Or is he a backup? And when I look at this quarterback crop, I don't see any of them that I say, this is an immediate starter, that you can put him out there right now, this is your guy. I see one eventual starter for me, and that's Geno. And then after that, there's a whole group of guys. You're talking about five or six guys. Uh, they're just different styles. But to me, they're all just potential starters. I don't know that you can say three years from now we're going to have many starting quarterbacks out of this group. So how many first-rounders are going to be? I'm a little bit different. There. Everybody keeps saying there's going to be three or four guys, but everybody I talk to says there's, we don't have first-round grades on this guy. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Now, if they can hold their water, we'll see. Uh, but in terms of talent, first-round talent quarterbacks, I, I only gave out one one guy that I thought was was worthy. That was Geno. Does anybody have those intangibles though that Russell had last year that he wasn't a first-round guy? But yep. looking back on it now, he... no, I, I I haven't seen it. And yeah. and you look at some of the guys that we have, the quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, Geno, look at their team; they kind of fell apart. You know, EJ Manuel, I looked him up. Yeah. He's played seven games against top twenty-five teams, six touchdown passes in seven games against top twenty-five teams. Mike Glenn at NC State was terrible. Ryan Nassib, Syracuse, just kind of middle of the road. Matt Barkley, USC, fell apart. Tyler Wilson, Arkansas, was terrible. Tyler Bray, Tennessee, was terrible. Matt Scott, Arizona's average. So these guys weren't good enough to lead college teams to big-time records. So to me, that's a major red flag. Where did Barkley wind up? Where does he go? Is he a second-rounder? I think he'll go in the second round in, in this group. I, I really do. Hmm. 
What a difference a year makes. Who is the most yeah. dynamic offensive player? I see you've got Tavon Austin yeah. basically being the first skilled position, for lack of a better phrase, player in your mock draft. You have him, I believe, to Tampa mm-hmm. at 13. Is he is he the most dynamic offensive player? I think it's an easy case yeah, for him, just in terms of everything he does. Although, don't sleep on Cordero Patterson from Tennessee. Both those guys, to me, after them, there's a drop-off. Both those guys... Uh, can catch the ball, make big plays in the pass game. They both, you can flip them or reverse, and they can take it the distance. They both return kicks and have production in that department. So uh, a team like the Rams, if you're looking at the way they're constructed, how, I mean, mm-hmm. how do you pass on either one of these kids if they're there? And you have the Colts getting uh, Manti tail. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, in the, in these mock drafts, is like the fourth one I think I've done. Yep. I just, you know, Manti Teo, in, it's in the state of Indiana. you got Notre Dame there. Let's just try and rile people up a little bit. It worked. It worked. Yeah, it does. It does absolutely work. Um, before I let you go, I, I want to hit you since you say, you know, since you you uh, were, you've been in these t- uh, draft rooms, you've been in these evaluation rooms with Ozzie Newsom, and that has been pretty much the main story of the last month, and mm-hmm. is what has gone down with the Ravens and what decisions they have been forced to make, what decisions they are 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 holding tight on, you know, yeah. what they are doing. What what is Ozzie Newsom thinking right now? Do you think? I think he has an uh, unbelievable belief in the process that they have there, that it's worked time and time and time again. And, and I think there's confidence there. And I think there's a lot of people freaking out about it. But when you just look at it specifically, to me, you look at their defense where they've lost all these guys. That's where the issue is being made. Obviously, you've got two Hall of Famers. You can make the case of the best to ever play their position. But neither one of them have been playing at the level that they were used to earlier in their career. So we take them, put them aside. If you're talking about LRB was an undrafted free agent. They've been able to find linebackers there forever. When I was there, I mean, we lost Bart Scott, we lost Ed Hartwell, we lost Adelius Thomas, Jarrett Johnson's been. I mean, they just find a way to get these linebackers. I'm not worried about that. Uh, and safeties are a position that's not necessarily a high value position. You can find them in the third, fourth round. The positions that are hard to fill on your defense that you know cost a lot in terms of money and, and having to select them high corner they're set a big you know a stud pass rusher they're set with Suggs they also like Upshaw a big time defensive tackle they got Nada so to me the holes they have to fill they're they're totally capable of filling those with second third fourth round picks and they've been doing it forever what about Bolden I mean how do they how do you that's the head scratcher that that one I don't that one I I don't tend to understand that one that didn't make sense to me well maybe they they were trying to clear calf space for Ellerby Mm-hmm. And then got so blown out of the water by yeah. Miami that yeah. that's maybe what happened there because the, because the Bolden move came on the sun uh, on the Monday before free agency. That was okay. that that one that one to me did not make a ton of sense just because look at the run that he just went on with your quarterback through the playoffs through the Super Bowl you, you pay the quarterback you think you'd want to keep him around and the other thing. I just think if you look at when Anquan Bolden went to the Ravens, to me it signified they finally had one of those defensive-minded, defensive personality guys on the offensive side yeah, of the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was there for four drafts. We were always trying to find that type of a guy on offense to give us what we had in Ray on defense, and I think Anquan Bolden was that guy. So uh, this, this is a situation I don't totally understand. Now, you're getting some of the, the financial aspects of it. That's above my pay grade, so I can't speak on that. But just taking him out of that offense, I think that's going to be tough to replace. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're going to have Torrey Smith. you got Jacoby, right? Yep. Um, and then who, who else? they got, you know, they got some young guys. They like Tannen Doss, Laquan Williams. Um, you know, they, they've got some guys. They don't have Anquan Bolton uh, on their roster right no, now. No, they don't. It just strikes me you – know, so many things go back to movies for me, Daniel. <laughs> like this, it reminds me of the scene 
what's going on in Baltimore right now. It reminds me of the scene in Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the Hoosier State, where um, it's it's not the equivalent of of Gene Hackman putting only four guys on the floor, <laughs> okay? But it is similar in the fact that the fans are all around them howling, and Ozzie Newsom is 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 got the game plan in the leather satchel, and he's holding it up like Gene Hackman was, essentially. Like, this is what's going to get us through. This is what's going to win championships. And that's what it seems to me is happening right now. Oh, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great way to look at it. I will say this, though. I think Jim Harbaugh probably makes a better Norman Dale than John Harbaugh does. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Get, kick out sure, of a, kick, sure kicked does. out of a few more games. Yeah, I think he makes <laughs> more sense in that role. <laughs> who, who, is, who is the best free agent signing in your Oof. estimation so far? Best which free one agent you, which signing. Which one do you go, that was a, that was a great one? I'll tell you what, the one that's gotten a lot of criticism to me, I really like, and that's Mike Wallace down in Miami. You know, a lot of people look, they gave him so much money. And, if, and look, if he doesn't catch 100 balls, people are going to rail on it and say it was a bad signing. But when you watch the Dolphins play last year, to me I felt like I was watching a half-court basketball game yeah. because they couldn't get anybody to stretch the, stretch the field. Wisconsin? You remember yeah, like yeah Wisconsin exactly. I was, what's the name of that, that guy, by the way? I love watching Wisconsin play. What's the name of their guy yeah, that, it's, with it's the curly so hair? Fam- Oh yeah, the the for lack of a better word, ginger. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with ginger. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. So to me, to get a guy that can stretch it out, even if you don't, if he's not catching the football, he's going to open it up for everybody else. He's going to take some of the pressure off their running game. But the field was so shrunk down when you watched the Dolphins play last year. I think he'll have a big impact. You know, you take a look over the past ten Super Bowl winners, and I don't think there's one where you say, okay. When the confetti's coming down, mm-hmm. you say the the thing that really put him over the top was that free agent signing. Yeah, I mean, who who? And the only thing that I've seen that's been as crucial, the best in the ten years in terms of free agent signing, is Peyton Manning, obviously in Denver. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was the game changer. And now they went ahead and did something similar with Wes Welker. Mm-hmm. That maybe, just maybe, when the confetti is being frozen in the sleet. Uh, uh, in New Jersey, <laughs> right, no next question. February, that maybe you could say, all right, these are two free agent moves. It's a rare case, such a rare case, that a free agent move is something that you can point to to putting a team over the top. And it's funny because we've talked a lot about basketball and comparing, comparing things. And when I, when I talk about Peyton Manning, I've always said he's, he's the best half-court basketball football player you know he plays 10 yards at a time and Wes Welker to me is an unbelievable half-court football player as well so this is like going to the YMCA with the two 45 year olds they're just running the court against all these young studs that's what I think of when I think of Peyton Manning just him and Wes Welker eight yards at a time right down the field man but but they have the field stretchers too you mm-hmm. know it's uh, Mike Brusewitz, by the way. Nice. The Wisconsin nice. basketball there you player. Go. I was never going to get that. I had to save myself from calling <laughs> well him done. A, a Very, very well done. Hey, Daniel. Do, Dan- do, oh, sorry. You got I just a, have a question because for both of you guys, do you, either of you guys think there's going to be near the amount of trades this year? There was 14 trades uh, live at Radio City last year, mm-hmm. and I think 19 overall when you include like the, the Rams and Redskins swap and all that. Do you anticipate that happening again this year or no? I think there's a lot of teams dying to go backwards, and there's not a lot of teams dying to go yeah, forward. Yeah, so that's yeah, the problem. No You've got to have a trade partner. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I'm sure Andy Reid would hope somebody is going to fall in love with Dion uh, Jordan. Jordan, yeah. You know, or yep. someone is going to fall in love with – I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm out of names. That's the problem. That's, that's why they're not. With. That's why the phone's not ringing because we can't come and up with the does, names. Does I mean, Teo go in the first round? I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. going to go. And, and the funny thing is, like, people get caught up in the historical thing. He's not, you know, Patrick. Will this guy? That. Look, this is all you're asking is one question: Is he going in the first round? You have to tell me who the 32 players that are better than him. Yeah. 
to tell me he's not going in the first round. There aren't. There aren't 32 guys better than he is. Well, I think also is that if he's sitting there lurking around 30, if he's somehow there, then the Ravens are sitting at 32. Makes a lot of sense. I think think, uh, San Francisco's phone is going to ring. The Bears in 20 need a linebacker now, too. Oh, Lord. (laughs) I honestly don't get that. Well, they, well the Erlacher deal? Yeah, I mean, is it the million and a half dollars? Yeah. I mean, what what does a million and a half salary cap dollars get get you in, in today's NFL? Well, think about how much dead money you have on your roster when you just look at the guys that aren't doing anything and you've got what he's done for the team. But yeah, Am that's, I wrong? I mean, obviously it's not done in a vacuum here. But to sit here and go, no, one year, two million, that's it. That's <laughs> no. it. I'm sorry, Brian. 13 years, I understand what you mean here. And, and and if I'm sitting there and I'm an owner, I'm like, well, wait a minute. The extra million and a half for him to stay here and keep him in a bare uniform mm-hmm. and keep this thing going where I can put his name in a ring of honor one day and he never put on another uniform again, just like Butkus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's another Singletary. Am I wrong? No. I, I've, to me, I, that there's, a, there's value in that extra million and a half in that regard, unless they're so cathed cap strung or they want to change the culture and, and and not that he was bad for the culture but he 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 represents the last decade and a half of bears football and if you want with a new coach coming in changing that dynamic maybe you do show him the door i don't under other than that i don't i don't get it yeah, it doesn't make a whole, whole lot of sense when you explain it like that because a million and a half where you can find that on that roster, you can find it a million different places and you can restructure and do all kinds of things. So to me, you know, I, I don't know the interpersonal relationship there that, that existed, but when you just look at it from the outside, it, it does not make sense. I'm with you. And have you ever had a fax a snafu before <laughs> in your I, years? Have you ever heard of a fax snafu? No, that's a first. I, I, I can never remember a fax. I just... Uh, the only thing that was, the only thing I can think of that's anywhere close to that is just the year where was it Minnesota that didn't get the card in, yeah. and there was the race For to the, the draft front. And, yep. and with the Ravens. Right? Yep, was, yep. That was, was I joined the Ravens right after that draft, and uh, and that was I mean it was talked about a lot uh, around the lunch table there just how unique that situation. I mean they were flying up there to get their cards in. That's the only thing I can even compare this thing to. It's mm. crazy. He, him, and uh, Freeney still haven't landed with anyone. Yeah. But. Listen, Daniel, I appreciate it. We'll see you on Path to the Draft. We'll see you all over our, uh, NFL.com, and uh, we'll have you back on the, the podcast one more time. Before yeah, Daniel's the, uh, on NFL.com Mock Draft Weekly Show, Fridays at 1 o'clock on NFL.com. You can watch it. So There you go. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on, Rich. I you really appreciate it. Anytime. And also follow Daniel on Twitter at Move the Sticks. Thanks, Rich. Get my followers up, man. I need some help. You got it. <laughs> Thanks. Daniel Jeremiah, everybody. DJ. Uh, yeah. The, the, and how about uh, Silver was fun and uh, and Dean Blandino and his two-year-old kid yeah, no. running around the background. I started hearing him, what, about six minutes yeah, in? Yeah, I know. It was right away. <laughs> and, but you could hear him. And, and I, I, I understand that because when, you know, I, I, as we mentioned earlier, I, I, I'm on Dan Patrick's show once a week, and there are other radio st- stations that I, I appear on every now and then. When Xander, my oldest, now four and a half, was that age, too. It would be very difficult for me to find a room in the house that he would not follow me into. Yeah. And there would be a couple times when I was on Dan's show and Susie was somewhere in the house and Xander would be pounding on a door. <laughs> like screaming for me. You're like, thanks, Sus, for not, and not like screaming like hurt or anything like that. He wanted to be in there. And I sometimes he would be walking around behind me. I think that's what I think that's what Dean was going through. Definitely. 
I think that's what he's going through. But, you know, he's father of the year, as I mentioned. There you go. Um, and Daniel is chock full of information. I, I loved his how – many, how many terribles did he drop when he mentioned the uh, quarterback class oh, by name? He was not fond of this year's quarterback well, class. He just said this guy was terrible, that guy was terrible. He said Mike Glennon, I think, was the guy he first threw Terrible. I mean, seriously, he sounded like Bill Walton there. For, terrible, that's <laughs> terrible, they're terrible. Man. Very true. Very oh, true. Lord. Uh, Not the year to need a quarterback were in the you draft. S- were you satisfied with Dean's answer on the iPad – uh, you know, weather-based. and No, I guess. Like reflection. if it's raining or if it's snowing or if it's, you know, sleeting, you can't – you got to – You guess, I guess you got to have um, – you got to have a hood. You got to have some sort of shelter yeah. in which to look at it, I guess. Plus, you don't want, like, but, cameras with long lenses shooting. I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're – yeah. I mean, you, you just have to uh, embargo any shots over a shoulder of a, of a ref or something like that. But Yeah. I'm full of ideas. I don't know if they work or they're workable or not, but I, I definitely know what doesn't work, and that's the tuck rule. And interestingly enough, uh, on the week that the tuck rule is uh, eradicated, uh, Chris Brockman, the Patriot fan of the of the podcast, he ghosts. He disappears. He runs off to San Jose. Yeah, I talked to him on Tuesday. We're chatting. He's like, he's like, what are you doing Thursday? I'm like, working. He's like, want to go? up to San Jose to watch the NCAA tournament. Like my buddies already asked me. They had extra tickets. We were going to golf, but can't. Got to work doing the podcast. He's there you like, go. Well, I'm going up. And he left, right? <laughs> so he's up there. Is he? Is, can you get him on the I phone? I can get him on the phone. I actually have his number keyed in. Let me dial okay. it right now. Hey, let's get Chris Brockman just to just to chime in, just to check in with him. He's. I think I think he's in San Fran today based on our conversation earlier. Okay. Well, bring him in. Bring yep, him in. Here we, Brockman, are you there? Greetings, gentlemen, from beautiful San Francisco, California. I am at Pier 7, where I am uh, walking down the waterfront, making my way to this uh, clam chowder place that uh, somebody somebody recommended I want some chowder. i got to see how it compares to the Boston chowder. Is it Boydine or whatever? Isn't that like the big San Fran? No, I'm going down to uh, Hog Island Oyster Company. Nice. Wow. First time in in the Bay. Yeah. So I, I made the trip up, like you guys said, to San Jose. I got to support the team, like Putty said. I got to support the team. But and, you, uh, you, you guys punked Montana. Oh, let me tell you what. Did anyone win day one of the tournament? Uh, you know, the higher seeds, I guess. Than Syracuse, forty-seven point win. Man, I think it set a record for the biggest beatdown of that. What are they? The three seed or the four? Seed? What are they? A four uh, we were seed? Four, They're five. Four thirteen game. Yeah, it's four thirteen. I'm not wow. gonna lie. I was uh, very nervous. Yeah, well, my uh, fourth. Th- listen, to get to the game. you know, you know how this works. You know how Syracuse usually does not uh, do well in the first round. Nope. With time, they but usually we play down, down to the, the opponent. Yeah, yeah. Opponent. Which and Mich- the last does time we were a four seed, we lost in the first round to Vermont in 2005. Yeah, well, we went. Down, we were one and done to Ohio last year. Remember, Peter King had me right. with use his uh, school's avatar for a week. That's right. That happened last That's year. That's right. That was but last year. You guys, you guys survived in advance. Rich, uh, how did, did Penn State do in the tournament yesterday? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just I really have no comeback for that at all. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just, just curious. So, okay. All right. Uh, but we did beat Michigan. So, yes, I, uh, it was a beautiful day. Uh, I decided last minute to go up. Uh, one of my friends from Sacramento, fellow Q's alum, met me. And uh, we were able to score some tickets to all the games, all four games. And right. he had a friend who uh, had a suite, and so we were watching from the suite all day yesterday. Look at you. Look at this guy. Look, Look at, at you. And, then I decided, and I've never been to San Francisco, 
So I decided to make the one-hour drive from San Jose and uh, walk around the bay today. Fantastic. Are you driving Stugatz Part Do or what? Yeah, yeah. What uh, no, you... no. My 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 car has two names. My new car has two names. Uh, somebody nicknamed it the Noble Steed, which I happen to like, and then another another friend uh, nicknamed it uh, Joffrey from Game of Thrones. <laughs> ah. All right, well, listen, I hate to break this band up, but uh, you've got some reveling to do. Uh, who are you playing in the next round, Syracuse? I do. Uh, we have uh, Cal Bears. Which oh, you've not- got Silver's team. Mike Pretty Silver's much, team. Oh, yeah, you know what? Look I out for Silver. I should draw a challenge to Mike Silver via Twitter. Yeah, you should do that. Uh, you should do that. So maybe you should yeah, look out for Silver. He was there. He said he was there for the first game. I, I tweeted out yesterday. It was like 20 to 1 Cal Bears fans. I mean, it's only 45 minutes from the Berkeley campus. It was insane in there last night for their game against uh, UNLV. Insane. So, so rich, I'm a little though. worried about the crowd factor, but uh, I think we have the talent on the floor to overcome it. We were trying to get Brockman to get on the rock today for this for this phone call, but uh, apparently the ferries were all sold out. We we're going to have him call from you know your, your location on uh, the Great Escape, where, where you were there, but... Brockman got a little late to the to the ferry. I was. Line. That would have been awesome. I, I got a little late start today. I needed to sleep in. And uh, I made the drive. I went and checked out the bridge. And then the idea of the rock came while I was at the bridge. And by the time I got down here, uh, it was all sold out for the day. So, All right. Well, listen. You go, you go do that, Chris Brockman. I've got to run right. myself. And, Law, you've got to get back to work. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, be safe. Good luck in round two, and I'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you. You got an Good international shout-out, Brockman? Gentlemen. Thank you. Appreciate it. No way he has no. one. No, he has no chance. No we'll chance. do that next week. All right. All right, Chris Brockman, thank you for calling. Right. Inter- are you yes. talking about an international shout-out? Sure. You got one ready? Give Just give me a second. Oh, man. <laughs> we can't fill this long. We can't. In the meantime, uh, for Chris. All right. Uh, for, All right. I'll wait. Uh, I'll wait till next week. We'll do it next week. Chris Brockman, okay. thank you for calling in. Thanks a lot, Rich Eisen. Chris, Chris Law, Law you, you are the man. You Absolutely. Are the man. Thanks, Rich. And uh, thanks to Daniel Jeremiah, Dean Blandino, and Mike Silver. That's it for this edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, signing off. Stay listening, friends.